feel like I'm at a Red Sox game here with Dirty Water playing. John Leahy putting it on there, uh, leading us back from intermission. If you're listening here on the podcast, you didn't get to hear the music, unfortunately, but uh, score at the end of two periods of play. It is Boston College 2, Merrimack nothing. This is Mike Magnick alongside John Leahy. Uh, joining us in the second intermission here, sponsored by Under Armour, it's Mike McMahon from themacreport.com, the Eagle Tribune, College Hockey News, NeutralZone.net, College Hockey Insider. Uh, whew, catch my breath there, but first of all, uh, Mike, talk about if I had any more, we're going to have to. Uh, that'll be it. You'll just do that, and then it'll be all right. Back to back to playing the third. Yeah. You need a Wikipedia article. That's what you need. <laughs> Well, speaking of catching their breath, I'm sure that's what Merrimack's trying to do down there between periods. They're being outshot 20-2 to two in that second period. There was no scoring, so Zach Borgiel, really the star of the game so far, he stopped 28 out of 30 shots uh, for Boston College, keeping it a 2 to nothing lead. And Merrimack has played their best hockey in the third period of games this year, so it sets up an interesting final 20 minutes here. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to, obviously. You've got a two-goal deficit going into the third, coming off what may have been their worst period of the year. I mean, it's hard to argue. 20 to 2 in shots. I think attempts were 30 to 6, I think, or 32 to 6, I think I saw, uh, overall in the period. So BC was generating more than a shot attempt per minute. And Merrimack was at a shot attempt about every three and a half minutes, whatever it is. So, uh, yeah, I mean, look, they got to do a lot better, right? they got to find ways to get in the zone and generate a lot more offense. And uh, It's going to be hard to do because this has been as physical a BC team as I can remember seeing in a long time. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that they went out and got older transfers, right? They're not relying. You know, we saw BU a couple of weeks ago, and, and they got a big junior class, but there's still a lot of younger players on that team. This is a BC team that is that is mature and they're heavy. And those guys that they brought in, uh, whether it's a Jack St. Ivany like Hooper was brought in last year, but still, it, it all applies. They, they've got some veteran physical guys that are, are willing to play physical. It's, it's probably one of the more physical BC teams that I think we've seen in a while. I want to ask you a question. Now we talked with Andy Powers from BC Radio in the first intermission and talking about the transfers and so on. Uh, you know, he doesn't like the direction it's going, whatever. I kind of, you know, tend to agree. It kind of throws really a wrench into everything as far as college hockey goes, but uh, it seems like it's here to stay with regard to, you know, the, the one-time transfer at least. But you, you then throw into the mix the fact that you've got guys who, uh, you know, have that extra year that was given by the NCAA because of the, uh, the pandemic and so on. Um, that, I guess... It would really still potentially be a fact, you know, because in other words, you're talking about guys who may have played someplace for four years, gotten a degree, and then said, hey, I can go somewhere else to play for another year. I think that where a lot of these transfers are effectively, you know, grad transfers of guys who usually it would be a guy who got his degree in three years, right? Which doesn't happen all that often, but a guy can do that and then grad transfer and play somewhere else for a fourth year. Now what you're seeing is the guy gets his degree in four years, which most players do, goes somewhere else and play a fifth year. That's not going to be the case forever, but it will for the next couple of years at least, right? Yeah, it will. And I'm interested to see how that plays out because with the grad transfers before the one-time transfer, before the fifth year, grad transfers over the last two or three years were becoming a little more prevalent. And I think it had to do with uh, you know guys staying on campus and taking classes in the summer means they can graduate early. Or a guy comes in at 20 years old, but while he was in the USHL, he took college classes, he has credits, so now he can graduate in three years and take a grad year somewhere. The thing that's interesting with the fifth year, which came into play a little bit this year uh, with some guys that just didn't find a home, and I think it will continue. The best players will always find a place to play. 
But if you're, you're talking about guys in the transfer portal who may not have found a home, right? Because you yeah. also have well, yeah. guys who were supposed to come in as freshmen who weren't able to find a home because of the transfers who stayed active. That will happen, yeah. yeah. The, the fifth-year stuff, though, unless you're playing your fifth year at the school where you played your fourth year, your scholarship counts towards the 18. And that's the, that's the big thing. If you retain a guy for a fifth year and he's, and he's been your player throughout, that scholarship doesn't count towards your 18 scholarships. However, the school still has to be willing to fund that scholarship, and that's like that's what happened with Bowling Green. BC was the the, the uh, beneficiary of it, grabbing a couple of those players, but they had four or five guys that could have used the fifth year that Bowling Green, competitively speaking, wanted to keep, uh, but their administration wasn't willing to fund. You know, <laughs> to go from 18 scholarships to 24 is an expense coming off of a year where schools were, were testing not only athletes but everybody on their campus with COVID and such. Uh, they weren't willing to fund that. So that, that's going to come into play more and more, I think, over the next few years because those players that are trying to transfer as a fifth-year player need to, unless they're willing to pay, need to be sure that there's a school out there willing to take them on and have that scholarship count towards their 18 because that, that will count towards their maximum because you can't because of the fact that they didn't play their, their fourth year, essentially, uh, with, with that school. So that, that's going to be a big thing to keep an eye on down the road. Again, the best players are always going to find a home because somebody's going to be willing to take them uh, and have that scholarship count towards their 18. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting. We saw it this year. There, there was a lot of guys in the transfer portal this year, uh, some good players too, who I think wanted to play a fifth year somewhere and weren't willing to find a team or a program willing to uh, fund a scholarship for them within their 18, limit, 18 scholarship limit. It feels like both these teams, Merrimack and BC, and of course you can extend it to the other teams in the league, kind of, you know, we're in or looking in the portal for different reasons and maybe at different types of players. Do you see, from a Merrimack standpoint, you think they still remain active here in the portal and looking for guys that may be the type of players that they got over the last year or two, you know, with the Newton and Durflinger and Jandrick and so on? I, I think they do. I mean, I think what we're going to see, honestly, is I think we're going to see teams leave themselves flexibility to go into the portal if they want to. Uh, there's going to be years, I'm sure, where some teams don't do it at all. There were teams this year that didn't do it at all. There's some teams that, uh, because of the way their rules are set up, can't. You know, the Ivy League schools can't can't take graduate players. Uh, I think Army is another one that can't. So uh, Air Force is another one. The Military Academy, they can't. So, I mean, there's going to be some schools that just can't do it. A team like Merrimack, though, I think if... <laughs> Look, I, I, if you have the opportunity to improve your team, uh, I think you should do that every single time, right? So if there's an opportunity for them to do it and it's adding an experienced player like they did with a Max Newton or a Steven Jandrick, I mean, those are obviously working. I mean, I think they they should and uh, will continue to do that. What I'm interested, too, is in watching how not only Merrimack but all these schools, how do they leave themselves a flexibility to do that? You know, is, is it always going to be pushing off freshmen? Because eventually those guys aren't... You're going to lose those guys. You're going to lose some recruits. UMass, Greg Carville said it in the offseason. I was on the call when he said it. You know, we, He had said at UMass they kind of made the determination that if you've played four years here, you know that is fulfilling our agreement. And, and for the most part, we watched them let some really good 50-year players go to some other schools. Philip Laganoff just went to Vermont um, with the idea being, you know, we made a commitment to guys coming in to fill your spots, and, and we want to keep our commitment to those guys. So every school is going to approach it differently, but from from Merrimack standpoint, I mean, obviously we saw BC do it too. If, if you've got guys that sign early and leave a hole, which is what happened at BC, or uh, you just have Merrimack have a chance to improve your club, I think you should do it. 
Mike, uh, we're not going to see you tomorrow, so let me get your thoughts on Merrimack's opponent next week, the Maine Black Bears. Tough start for the Black Bears. Uh, they finally get to go back to Alphonse Arena. What do you make of Maine so far? What, what has been their primary struggle? It's been a little bit of everything. Uh, I've watched them a few times, and they've struggled offensively. They've struggled defensively. Uh, you know, I think they're going to be in for a tough road for a, a little bit here. I, I think they're going to be a team that is dangerous in three or four years. Uh, I think, though, it, it's a longer... It's a little bit of a longer-range project, you know, but I think you look at a, a team like Vermont and Maine in a couple of years could be back towards the top five in the league just because they've got really good coaches that know what they're doing. I mean, Ben Bar, look at Ben Bar's resume. He was he recruited a team at Union. He never saw it because he had already left to go to Providence at this point, but he recruited a team at Union that won a national championship. Then he goes to Providence, uh, leaves the year before Providence wins a national championship, but he recruited most of that team. Then he goes to UMass. He's there five years and rebuild, helps rebuild and recruit a team that won a national championship. So, you know, the resume is there that he knows what he's doing. Uh, I, I do think it's going to be a little bit of a long range for just because they've got some hurdles they got to get over, especially now. They've got to completely reshape that roster. That's a two to three year process at least. But they've got some they've got some uh, positive things in the pipeline. They've recruited some good players. The other thing that's going to help them out, I think, this, I think the university now goes in-state tuition for uh, even out-of-state players, which is good for walk-ons or, or guys you're taking on two-for-fours. You know, if you're Maine and you can offer somebody in-state tuition for the two years you have to pay compared to a, a private school for the two years you're going to have to pay, you're probably going to win those those recruiting battles more, most often. Before we let you go, Mike, quick question. Uh, I wanted to touch on this. New recruit this week uh, for Merrimack. Tell us about him. First 2005. Uh, so they're getting, either they're getting younger or I'm getting older. I don't know what it is. I, th I think we're getting older. <laughs> 2005, though, sounds like, wow, okay. Uh, but, I mean, if you think about it, it sounds crazy, but 2000, a kid born in 2005 is 16 years old. That's when you can recruit kids. And, uh, you know, it seems like he's a, a pretty talented offensive player. Uh, has had a history. Who is it again? Um, Sorry, putting you on the spot there. That's okay. I want to make sure I pronounce the last name correctly. So, uh, let me, I know he's a Michigan kid. Um, I know he's a Michigan kid. He's a forward. And, of course, my phone's not. Podienko or something? No, that, that's a Russian kid from the USHL. Oh, that's right. Sweet. So, this is a uh, kid from Michigan, Daniel Astapovich. I think I'm saying the name correctly. Um, but, no, he's he's been able to score at the, at the younger levels, which is, which is important. Right? I mean, you need a history. If you're going to score at the college level, you need a history of being able to score at the younger level. So he has shown that. He's still a young player. He's 16 years old, uh, still playing. In, 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 uh, he hasn't really hit juniors yet. I mean, he's not in the USHL. He's drafted by Madison, though, in the fifth round in the Futures draft. So that's a pretty good indication that he's going to get some time there at some point. And, and he's a guy that I'm assuming the Madison Capitals uh, are excited about to take him, not even in the entry draft. Took him a year ahead in the Futures draft. So he's somebody that is on their radar, I think, for the next couple of years. And I would imagine he's a guy that if he continues on the traje trajectory he is now, will be someone that can make a difference once he's here. Thanks, Mike. I know tomorrow uh, we won't be on the air, of course. We're doing, only doing the home games here, but uh, you will have coverage uh, starting about what time tomorrow? I know it's 4 o'clock game time. You've got other commitments. What what time could folks uh, maybe tune into the, the live blog on themacreport.com? Probably right at the start of the second period. i got a PV game to coach in the afternoon. So, uh, But right around the start of the second period. All right. Good luck with the game. We appreciate it. Uh, and we'll talk to you again soon. Actually, we won't talk to you until after Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving, Mike. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we're on the road here for a bit. Thanks. All right. Mike McMahon, our guest here. We'll be back with more right after this. This is Warrior Hockey.